0: Support for this WXAV podcast is being provided by Bookies, new and used books. Located at 10324 Southwestern Avenue in Chicago, Bookies specializes in new and used books. Their selection includes new releases, bestsellers, and books that are out of print. For more information, please visit their website at bookieschicago.com. You can also find them on Facebook by searching Bookies Chicago or call them at 773-239-1110. Hello and welcome to... A Great Woman and Her Time, a WXAV 88.3 FM series that examines the extraordinary life of a 19th century Irish woman. And now your host, Graham Peck. Hello, my name is Graham Peck, and I am a professor of history at St. Xavier University in Chicago, where I have taught since 2002. I have published a book and produced a film about the origins of the Civil War, and you can learn more about my career by visiting my website, CivilWarProf.com, But if you love to listen to history, stay strapped into your earbuds because we are going to take another journey into the past. About a decade after Catherine Macaulay died, a Dublin priest named John Gregg gave a sermon that pronounced his understanding of the roles of women and men. The great and weighty business of life devolves on men, he said but important business belongs to women. According to Gregg, women could teach children, nurse the sick, and provide alms for the poor. He honored women, but he also put them in subjection to men. While men ran institutions, making those great and weighty decisions, women served those in need. Gregg's perspective was widely shared in Irish society reflecting what historians call the doctrine of separate spheres, or the idea that women's sphere was private, predominantly in the home, while men's sphere was public in the world at large. Such gendered ideas were even stronger in the Catholic Church, which had taught for centuries that men and men alone served in persona Christi, in the person of Christ, a doctrine that justified priests' authority. These deep-seated cultural convictions about the social and religious roles of men and women raise an important question. How did Catherine Macaulay, founder of the Sisters of Mercy, work with priests and bishops in the Catholic Church to establish a female religious order designed to bring women into the public sphere to practice the works of mercy? We learned in the fifth episode of this series on Catherine McAuley that most of the nuns who joined the order were well-off, able to endow it with funds. Upon joining it, they took vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. The obedience was to their superior, initially Catherine Macaulay, but Macaulay in turn owed obedience to the Archbishop of Dublin, Daniel Murray, who himself owed obedience to the Pope in Rome. Hence the mercy order existed from its inception, only within a powerful and exclusively male clerical hierarchy. Given these circumstances, how did Macaulay and her sisters gain the support of such men to create an order that gave women considerable independence? The answer is that the Mercy sisters shared a common purpose with priests and bishops who desired their aid to strengthen and transform the Irish Catholic Church. Indeed, One of the reasons that Macaulay and other nuns found supportive bishops and priests was the grave shortage of priests in the church. As Ireland's population doubled in the late 18th and early 19th centuries, the Irish church could not educate enough priests to keep up with the demand. And even had the church produced enough priests, it could not have paid them adequately. The impoverished Irish peasantry was simply too poor to finance a growth in the priesthood. The consequence by the 1830s was that each priest ministered to thousands of parishioners, a massive burden that made it difficult for priests to perform the sacraments, much less to educate and minister to the people more generally. Hence, there was a pressing need for additional laborers in the vineyard of the Lord, even if those laborers were female. Early 19th century Irish bishops also desired to reform the church. They knew that parish priests frequently lacked zeal and sometimes failed to carry out the duties of their offices. One bishop was informed, quote, that the pastor minded dogs and hunting more than his flock and that he did not give mass on holy days. In another case, a bishop struggled unsuccessfully to remove a priest who enjoyed the strong support of his congregation despite bearing multiple children with different women. And more than a few priests were slovenly, bringing the priesthood into disrespect. And then, of course, were the problems of alcoholic priests and priests who mixed socially with parishioners. Such priests also weakened the dignity of the church. These circumstances convinced the bishops to initiate reforms that tied Irish Catholics more tightly to the Church. The reforms were intended not only to reign in rogue priests, but also to employ as many zealous sisters as the bishops could find. Finding them was becoming easier. In early 19th century Ireland, many women found the prospect of taking religious vows increasingly appealing. Partly this was because some 18th century nuns had broken from the practice of cloister, which required nuns to devote themselves to prayer within the convent. Instead, some nuns received permission to leave the convent and minister publicly. The Sisters of Mercy became the most prominent order to reject cloister. Indeed, they became known as the Walking Sisters because they walked amongst the poor. The visibility of such uncloistered nuns made joining religious congregations attractive to women who did not wish to get married and raise children, which was the only other respectable option. Consequently, in the first half of the 19th century, the number of Irish nuns multiplied by 15 times and the number of orders grew rapidly as well the reasons were not entirely religious in character. As historian Maria Luddy explains, religious orders enabled, quote, a very large number of single women to perform socially useful work at a time when women generally were denied such opportunity. Nuns improved nursing skills in hospitals. Nuns also ran schools, orphanages, reformatories, industrial schools, Magdalene asylums, and homes for the elderly. Luddy also points out that within the walls of convents, quote, women could and did create their own systems of labor and some women had the opportunity of rising to positions of power and authority unmatched by lay women in secular society. Catherine Macaulay and the sisters who subsequently led mercy institutions all over the world fit Luddy's description of Perfectly. Macaulay's desire to serve God and her desire to do good were an ideal match. Yet Macaulay was extremely fortunate that Daniel Murray was the Archbishop of Dublin when she sought to create a religious order. Murray was the leading bishop in Ireland and a determined reformer, and his long career was most distinguished by his support for three new female orders the Sisters of Charity, the Sisters of Mercy, and the Loretto Sisters. Yet Murray did not micromanage these female orders that he supported. As one biographer wrote, If apprised of any undertaking for God, he hearkened, he aided, he advised. But there his part terminated. He left the matter in the hands to which Providence had entrusted it, to the guidance of the mind, that had been inspired to originate it. For Catherine Macaulay, Daniel Murray's approach meant that she truly would lead the order. Yet her initiative was still sharply delimited, both by cultural attitudes towards women and by Murray's power. After she opened the House of Mercy in September of 1827, she endured complaints from both neighbors and priests. One priest is reported to have said that he had, quote, no great idea that the unlearned sex could do anything but mischief by trying to assist the clergy. Probably because of such considerable opposition, Macaulay soon asked the archbishop to raise the status of women in the house to that of a religious congregation. He flatly refused, observing that, quote, no prior preparation had been done by them nor had it been attempted according to the religious rules laid down for novitiates. Yet Macaulay had strong friends in the priesthood, including one who gave an astonishing sermon in the presence of the archbishop, stating that, quote, Any individual in society presuming by word or deed to injure her establishment will draw down on himself a lash, the scourge of the Almighty. Meanwhile, Other local priests who supported her authored a petition to Roman authorities requesting the Pope's blessing for the community. Learning of this, the Archbishop quashed the appeal, informing Rome that the quote, women who live there, however pious, neither belong to a legitimately established congregation, nor live according to an approved rule, nor take vows. In short, They had no claim on the church or the archbishop without renouncing their secular status. Within months, under considerable pressure, Catherine Macaulay made the life-changing decision to serve a novitiate at the convent of the Presentation Sisters in Dublin. Catherine's decision to submit to his authority and her arduous efforts to build the order subsequently ultimately earned his approval. Four years later, Murray informed Roman officials that the Mercy Sisters, quote, "...fully deserve to receive from His Holiness all these signs of benevolence which may seem suitable for the firm establishing of the good work thus begun for the promoting of the glory of God." Murray's benediction reflected the practical limits of the Sisters' power. They were cloaked in the authority of the Church, but only with the approval of male clerics. For the sisters, however, submission to male authority was not a grievous burden. After all, their vows demanded poverty, chastity, and obedience. And obedience was most typically rendered to the convent's mother superior. In the convent, no man managed their lives directly. Thus, the sisters' greater challenge was persevering for a lifetime in the service of the ignorant, poor, and sick. This required strong conviction, and on the docket for our next episode is an exploration of the devotion of the Mercy Religious, how the faith of Catherine Macaulay, imbued with Catholic doctrine, animated their commitment. It is the heart of the Mercy story. You've been listening to WXAV's A Great Woman and Her Time, a program created researched, written, and narrated by Graham Peck. Engineering and editing by Peter Creighton. For more information on the series, please visit Graham Peck's website, civilwarprof.com.